the greatest. Greatness is not all. It's made. But I think people can choose to be not ordinary. I think it's possible for ordinary people to choose to be extraordinary. Greatness is what reveals itself when you carefully articulate and live out what you believe to be true. It just happens. Greatness is not this godlike feature that only the special among us taste. Greatness truly exists in all of us. Greatness is being happy. Greatness is achieving something or striving to achieve something that is going to inspire people or that is going to help people. Greatness is about living a life that is true to yourself. Greatness is standing apart from those around you and distinguishing yourself. Greatness, I define it as someone that they leave such a legacy behind that people look up to them and they really are inspirational to so many. Keep investing and keep betting on yourself. Build your own stage and make them see you. First of all, it's the talent, but of course the ethic of work. In today's world, you have to transcend, you have to do something different, you have to show your uniqueness. Don't, don't be a copycat. Don't be second best to somebody. America is already great. Before you even become number one, start to proclaim it and say it long before it happened. And the world said exactly what I said. I spoke it, the world heard it, and it activated. I am the captain of my ship and the master of my fate. If I don't say it, if I don't believe it, no one else will. It's a pretty provocative question, isn't it? I mean, what, what is greatness? Something that we're going to dive into, we're going to explore together, we're going to look into it. I want to just say thank you for being here. Thank you for coming and worshiping, whether you're here or online or at one of our campuses or local sites. It's great to be together, and especially when we talk about something uh, that has such a power within us. It can become... Uh, Something that we chase so desperately, what, what is greatness? You, you heard it, so many different people, people who have different sized platforms throughout the course of, of recent history. And some of the people that you saw in that video, some of you are like, I can't believe he just put that person's face or image or video on that. There were probably people that talked about greatness that you think couldn't be more opposite of being great, right? But that's the thing about it is so often what we do is when we start to discover what is great and what is greatness and how we define it, we look at things that are subjective. Really what it comes down to is I will, I will label something as being great if it, if it aligns with what my values, what, what my expectations, what, what, my, what my benchmarks are. I mean, think about it. We do it all of the time. We do it when we talk about people in, in popular culture. I mean, I think about it being somebody who uh, is, is a sports fan who, who's looking at a lot of games this weekend. Like, who's the greatest quarterback of all time? Is it Joe Montana? Is it Tom Brady? And for those of us in central Iowa right now, we know the answer is Brock Purdy, right? I mean, we know that's that. I mean, that, he's the greatest of all time in, in our hearts right now. But, but you might look at Tom Brady or, or Joe Montana. You might say, no, it's not that. It's... It's, the, it's Patrick Mahomes. He's doing things that nobody's ever done before. He, we pray that he's okay next week because it's too fun to watch that guy play. Even if you don't like him, you have to admit it's fun to watch him play. 
But we look at people like this and we say, well, it's the, the amount of wins that they have, or it's the amount of yards that they've passed for, or it's the amount of titles that they've gotten. And we get all of these debates, or we think about what's the greatest rock band of all time. Some of you will say it's the Beatles. So oh, they, they change the way that music is done. True. Some of you would say it's, it's you too. Some of you would say both of those bands are bands that I think are garbage. It's neither of them. Subjective, right? Based on the way that I feel about it. Who's the greatest? This, this one's like, I didn't even know for the sake of peace in the church if I should talk about who's better, MJ or LeBron. Because people literally, it blows my mind. Like people online are literally starting dumpster fires about who's the greatest. It's subjective. And there's some of you who are saying, oh, he's just saying it's subjective because he likes LeBron more than MJ. Or some of you are saying, he's just saying it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's subjective because he likes MJ more than LeBron. Because everybody knows it's about this and it's about that. Who's the greatest vocalist of all time? Whitney Houston? Is it Mariah Carey? Is it somebody else? Greatness is this thing that we, we label and, and we assign to certain people. And sometimes when we do that, we forget who we are. Like honestly, we forget who we are. Because we believe, we've been fooled to believe that in order to be great, we need to be somebody else. In order to be great, we have to be able to have our face on a list like this or, or be able to be in a video like that. A couple weeks ago, my mom and dad, they said, hey, we have some books that we want you to go through. They're going through all of the bookshelves in their house and they're, try they're trying to get rid of stuff. And so what do your parents do when they don't like you and they try to get rid of stuff? They try to give it to you. That's what they're doing right now. But they said, hey, we have a whole bunch of books. We were big readers growing up. Our family right now, we're big readers. So they said, we have a whole bunch of books that we're going through that you might like, your kids might like. And then my mom said, you know, your dad and I came upon just one Mercer Mayer book. Like when I was little, The Little Critters, I was a huge Mercer Mayer fan. Loved those books. My kids, when they were little, when they were young, they loved Mercer Mayer books. We had them all. But my mom said that the interesting thing is we only had one. And so dad and I were trying to figure out why on earth did we, did we just keep one of these Mercer Mayer books? And she said, and then we figured it out. So we're going to bring this book over to your house, and we want to see if you guys can figure it out as well, why we would keep just this one. Because it's not the fact that it's just about it's just for you. <laughs> you get a glimpse into second grade Jeremy right now. Confidence wasn't in short supply. And I was certain that centuries later from that point, people would look at the great works of Jeremy Johnson. And they'd be like, he knew it at an early age. Look at my penmanship. I mean, that's A+. plus. It's better than the way I write now. Trust me. But it's Jeremy Johnson, the great. Somewhere along the line, I started to question that. And maybe, maybe you do as well. 
that I started to wonder in order to live up to the, the, the title I had given myself so long ago that maybe I needed to be somebody else. And I started to think that greatness could never come in who God created me to be. Why do we do that? I think it's because we, we don't measure greatness the right way. I mean, if I were to ask you, how do you measure greatness? What are your benchmarks? What are your measuring points? How would you answer it? A lot of us would say influence, especially in a world that's incredibly digital. Like, if you're an influencer, if you have great influence, then, then you're great. Then you're worth talking about. Then you're notable. Some of us would say it's, it's positional. Like if you get to a certain point, and only if you get to that point, then you're great. And so we spend our whole lives trying to get to that point, and the whole time from here to there, we start to have this horrible view of ourselves because we have not arrived. Some of us would say it's money. Some of us would say it's popularity. Some of us would say it's good looks. Did you notice something about that list? Or, or, or whatever probably is on many of your lists? It's all external, isn't it? And it's not going to last. And, and none of those things, having influence, having a position, having, ha- having financial freedom, having the relationships, whatever it be. None of those things in and of themselves, not a single one of them, is bad. In fact, many of those things are absolutely wonderful and can be used in the right way to greatly contribute to the change in our world. But sometimes we make the pursuit of this the end goal. And along the way, we, we, we get fooled to think that it's, maybe it's, it's all about us. This isn't a new phenomenon. This isn't something that just started happening in the, in the last few decades or, or, the, or the last generation. I mean, the, the Bible reading you heard just a, a few moments ago from the book of Matthew as we're continuing on in the whole Holy Bible. This passage from Matthew's gospel is just before the passage that was read for you. It's what sparked Jesus to say what we'll get to in just a minute, that if you want to be first, you need to be a servant, and if you want to be the greatest, you must become a slave. The the conversation that provoked that, this absolutely jumped off the page to me this year. The thing I love about going through the discipline of reading scripture, and I hope that you'll continue after this year, is that every time I read it, there's something else, something different, something new that just kind of, it's illuminated in a way. I'm like, I never saw it that way. God's word is living and it's active. The reason why Jesus has this, 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 this incredible invitation of, of the way in which greatness and leadership is used is because James and John, two of his disciples, they're brothers, they're called the sons of Zebedee. Their mom marched them in front of Jesus. And she says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, can you make sure? 
Can you make sure that my kids, my kids are great, one on your right, one on your left, the time of Jesus, if, if there was a host that was going to have people over, the, the most important guests would be the ones that would sit closest to the one that was hosting the gathering. And I thought to myself, I was, I was convicted, honestly. And I wonder how many of you kind of wrestle with the same thing. Look, I'm not different in this club. I'm, I'm probably the, the president of this club. That I try to uh, force my kids into opportunities of greatness rather than letting them figure it out on their own. And I wonder for, for all of us who have kids in our lives of any age or no kids of any age, maybe we just need to let it go just a little bit and let them be themselves rather than our version of what the greatest they could be truly is. I remember when I was teaching high school English. The thing that was great about being an English teacher is the kids needed you more than you needed the kids. Because <laughs> you can't graduate if you don't pass English. And I would tell my students that all the time. Like, hey, if you don't do your work, no skin off my back, I'm fine. You won't be. Well, there was one of my colleagues, she taught senior English. And there was a student in her class that wasn't doing his work at all. So she had sat down with this student multiple times. She, I knew that because she would talk to all of us in our English department and say, I don't know how I'm going to get through with this student. Great kid, not doing a thing. She would tell him, you're not going to pass. You're not going to pass. If you don't pass, you're not going to graduate. Got to the point where it started to get later in the year where she was like calling his parents almost on a weekly basis. Hey, if he doesn't do his work, he needs to start. If he doesn't do his work, he's not going to pass. If he doesn't pass, He's not going to graduate. You don't want that. He doesn't want that. Never did his work. Second to last day of school. There's a knock on the door of our English office. Open it up and there is this student with both of his parents. And she said to my colleague friend, let me know what I need to do. Because I'll do anything. I'll do anything to, to give this to him, to allow him to experience this. This is what James and John's mom is doing. Because there's this thing that we, it's so hard to let go of the control. It's so scary to, to say, hey, the chips might just fall. And, 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 and unless my, my kid or unless I get to this point, then I'm going to be insignificant. Why do we buy that? Why do we think that it's something that we could do that gets to define who we are? See, how Jesus responds to this conversation is something that's spoken and seems that it's upside down in a broken world. Or actually is incredibly right side up in a world that's upside down. Because Jesus says, hey, there's a way that this world works. That the people who have power, the people who have influence, the people who have platforms, the people who have a stage to, to, to proclaim from, they use their power 
the lords, the, the authorities, they use their power in a way to serve themselves. To keep others down, to push others down in order to elevate themselves. We can't relate to that, can we? I'd be willing to bet that most of us, most of us have had somebody in our lives that unfortunately has treated us, they've treated us as a means to their end. That we're more of a product than, than a person. And unfortunately, there are probably a lot of us who've been the ones that have missed it in this. Because sometimes we'll do anything in order to, to lift ourselves up. You know, when, when, I was, when I was a kid, I'm still in the generation that when I was a kid and I wanted to talk to my friends, I either had to talk to them on the phone and hear their voice or I actually had to be with them in person and, and see their face. We don't have to do that anymore. And as a parent, that's, that's just really crazy because because we know how sometimes people behave when they feel like they're behind the veil of a perceived anonymity that they think technology gives them. And there's a way in which it happens so, in such a prevalent way, prominent way, online where people will do anything to push others down in order to, I think, to lift themselves up. We, we, our, our kids are able to text on their iPads and stuff like that, but we, we've employed something that's been wonderful. It's called the Bark app. It's wonderful. And what it does is it flags any time that there's anything that's concerning that's done on any device that they have, it alerts us. And it's super sensitive. And our kids know that we have it, and we told them, hey, if we're alerted, we're going to check it out. They also know, our kids also know, that at any moment, at any time, we get to go through all of their stuff. And here's the kicker. They have to sit next to us while we do it. Look, some people are like, hey, it seems a little controlling. No, if, what does sin love? It loves the darkness. Truth loves the light. We say, hey, guys, if you're doing something that you don't want us to see, you shouldn't be doing it. This Bark app, super sensitive. We got uh, alerted for uh, alcohol and drug content with our daughter last year. She's nine. Okay, so we, we're like, oh my goodness. Like, what happened to our sweet little girl? She seems so sweet. And we looked at her text, and it was a text to her friend who was going uh, to her well child check. And she asked her friend, are you going to have shots today? <laughs> and she said, yeah. I'm going to have two shots. And so we got alerted. And our daughter's like, hey, why would they alert that for alcohol? And we're like, well, you'll find that out a long time down the road. And if you find that out sooner than the next 12 years, you're going to be in some trouble. Like, no. But what it also has alerted us to is the way in which people treat one another. And it's not just the kids. Bridget got this thing. It's called 52 Modern Manners for Today's Teens. It's like a tabletop-like book. It's like 10 by 10, and we, we, we keep it on the island in, in our kitchen. 
And so every week you flip it and it has just a, another thing to help your kids like learn a manner, a way to behave. And this week, the week that in our Bible readings we, we read about Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus says, if you have a problem with somebody else, if there's somebody that you, you find fault with, what, what our human nature wants us to do is to blow them up, to talk to everybody else about that person, to gossip about them, because in doing that, we're going to tear them down, and in doing that, it's going to lift us up. Makes us look better to make them look worse. And Jesus says, if, if you have a problem with somebody else, don't talk to everybody else about it. You've got to talk to them about it. Now, there are situations where you're in that you say, you know what, if I were to talk to somebody who's, who, who's been hurting me, that's unsafe. If that's the case, let us know. We'll walk through that situation with you. But this, this week, the modern man said, and I don't think this is just for our kids. Listen to this. Don't share hurtful things. Jesus says, you know the way of the lords and the rulers and the authorities. They use their power and they flaunt it in a way to take everybody else down. Don't share hurtful things. Sharing a screenshot of an unkind text or retelling something rude you heard about a person is not being a good friend. Even if your intentions are good, sharing hurtful things causes pain to everyone involved and puts you in the middle of the drama. It's hurtful and don't repeat it. What if we just started there? Rather than cling to these, these, these weird, skewed ways that we cling to in order to try to, to get to the place and to the, the level that we so desperately want. Jesus says the lords and the rulers of this world, they use their power to, to flaunt it, to lord it over you. But then Jesus says, but, about, but among you it's going to be different. Look, we got we to gotta hit this. We just do. Among you, it's going to be different. Jesus says, hey, to, to normal, ordinary people who are dealing with the same struggles that you and I struggle with, he says, hey, come and follow me. Let me show you a way that is going to allow you to experience life the way that God created you to experience it. It's going to be different. In the world that you live in, with, there are people that use power and position and whatever, prestige, whatever they have. They use it in a way to serve themselves. But with you, it's going to be different. And Jesus goes on. For if you want to be a leader, you must become a servant. Leadership isn't something that happens out in front. It's something that quietly comes from behind. Whoever wants to be first, whoever wants to be the greatest, must become like a slave. Think about it. Jesus is getting together with his disciples the last time physically before he goes into heaven. He's going to be able to, to share a meal with these disciples, people who had left everything to follow him. And so they gather in this home, they gather in this upper room, they gather for this meal and Jesus does something that just absolutely messes with their minds, blows with their minds. As they're all seated, Jesus takes off his outer garments. He takes a towel and a basin of water and he, and he stoops down, he kneels down, and he's going to begin to wash their feet. Now you would never, 
You would never do that. Nobody of any type of importance, of any position, of any authority would ever lower themselves. And so they say to Jesus, Jesus, no. You can't do that. It's almost offensive that somebody that's like you would do something like that. And Jesus says, no. That's where you're missing it. You see the Son of Man, Jesus goes on to say, but the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know what a ransom is. I mean, there's like dozens and dozens and dozens of movies that have been created on the concept of somebody who needs to be ransomed. A ransom is a price that's paid for somebody's freedom. Somebody who isn't able to experience the life that they're created to live. And Jesus says, well, that's why I came. Is to give my life so that they might find it. It's love. Jesus says, follow my way. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and he came to give, to give his life away. Because he loves you. And he invites you to do the same. And look, it's not anything that it's not anything that has to be radical in order for you to do it. Wherever you live, you have the opportunity to love. You say, no, I, I live by myself. No, wherever you find yourself, you have a choice to make. Every day as you enter into the life that you have been graciously given to live, who am I going to love today? How many people can I, can I love the, the way not to get something, but to be able to give something? It's when we do that. It's when we do that that we start to experience life. I, I know that so many of you, you, you remember distinctly the age you were when you started to look at different seasons and times where you would exchange gifts. The age you were when you started to get more excited to see the expression as those who were recipients of the gift open it up than you were to actually get the gift yourself. I can remember it distinctly. I was 45 years old. <laughs> I'm kind of joking. That's life. That's love. Seven years ago, my wife and I went to uh, Israel, into the Holy Lands. And one night, we were able to go out on the Sea of Galilee, which was absolutely just mind-blowing. I mean, that's the place where Jesus spent a lot of his time. It was a place where Jesus literally walked on the water. I remember being out on this boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and I remember, I wonder if it was here that Jesus walked on the water. I wonder if it was here that Jesus walked on the water. And finally, Bridget said, would you just be quiet? Like, it was somewhere. But I couldn't believe it. I'm like, he was walking on the water here. It was on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus calls out to Peter. He says, hey, Peter, who's not catching any fish, throw your nets out to the other side. 
And Peter catches so, so many fish that it threatens to capsize the boat. I mean, the Sea of Galilee is absolutely full of life. Disciples who did their ministry there, many of them before Jesus called them, did their life there. They earned their living fishing the Sea of Galilee. The next day we went to the Dead Sea that is absolutely empty. No life in it at all. And you want to know what's fascinating about that? Is that the Sea of Galilee that's full, that's alive, and the Dead Sea that's empty, that's dead, did you know it's filled by the same source? The source of life of both of those bodies of water is exactly the same. It's the Jordan River that, that fills both the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. So what's different? Well, one gives and one just takes. Jordan River goes into the Sea of Galilee and then the water flows out of the Sea of Galilee and it continues on. There's this reciprocal nature that happens in the body of this water that allows it to be alive. The Dead Sea, the water comes in and it never goes out. And I think to myself, man, we're the same. It's not all about just me and it's not all about just take. Jesus has more for us. He's not saying that you know, that those of you who are first need to become servants and those of you who want to be great need to become slaves because he somehow wants to prevent us from experiencing life. No, he wants us to experience the fullness of life. Paul puts it this way to his letter to the church in Philippi, the, the book of Philippians. Just after this, Jesus, or Paul's going to write, you must have the same mindset that Christ Jesus said. Here's what leads up to it. Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to live your life just being impressive to other people. There's no life in that. It's going to be a dead-end road every single time. But be humble. Have the humility to see and have eyes to see the needs of the world around you. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. He says it this way. In his letter to the Romans church. He says don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. And I wonder. When you think about. When you think about your life. And when you think about the places that you occupy. And when you think about your goings out and your comings in and all the places in between. Who needs that? Who, who do you see? I mean, it doesn't have to be across the world. Who do you see all the time? And you just see them and you say, man, there just seems to be something that they need. Paul says, don't just pre Don't let your... Love just be something that exists in words. Let it be felt in actions. Because love by definition, by definition, love is generous. 
love is seen in, in generosity. It's not about what I get, it's about how I give. There's a woman by the name of Jackie Pollinger. And she was a very young woman and she just felt that she was being called by God. To love people. She felt that God was calling her and so she didn't know where and so she kind of set out on this journey. To go and find God, where, where is it that you're calling me? Where is it that you're leading me? Where is it that my love can show its generosity? Not through what I can do, but what, God, what you've done in me. How can I be kind of like the sea of gallery where your love comes in and, and then it goes out? And Jackie Pollinger found herself in a place that, well, at the time was thought to have been a place that was impenetrable. It was a place that was called the walled city, a place that was void of laws, a place that was void of government, a place that was void of any municipalities where people were fending for themselves. And we fend for, when we fend for ourselves, there's always someone who loses, right? I mean, my goodness. We see that all the time. This is what Jesus is getting at. So because what God had done in her life, she felt called to go do something in the lives of others. Take a look. At the age of 21, Jackie Pullinger boarded the cheapest ship she could find, stopping off at the greatest number of countries and prayed to know where to disembark. She arrived in Hong Kong in 1966 when the Cultural Revolution was beginning in China and a flood of refugees was about to burst across the border into Hong Kong. More and more people crammed into a place called the Walled City, a small, densely populated, lawless area. Jackie Pullinger has spent nearly half a century living there, working with prostitutes, heroin addicts and gang members. In a talk she gave to a church back in England, she started by saying, God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. The trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. I think a soft heart is, I don't know how to explain it really, but you probably need yours broken in order for it to become soft. Um, and that's when you begin to realize that, that the Son of God um, would have died for you if you'd been the only person. And then that the, the hard feat is to go on loving them, to go on loving them, to persevere. Did you ever think about it that way? That if you had been the only person that existed, if you were the only one, that Jesus Christ still would have gone to the cross for you. God loved you so much that he gave his son to die for you as a ransom for your life, to set you free, to love you in a way that's, that's felt, that's experienced, that, that allows us to, 
to recognize who we are. I mean, as much as I wouldn't want him to know that, second grade Jeremy had it figured out. That there was greatness that existed not because of anything that I would do over the course of the the next decades of my life, but that greatness was because God saw me that way. God created me. No different than anybody else. No better than anybody else, but in his image. And and he loved me and he he thought I was so great that that he died for me. And Jackie Pullinger comes to this realization to say, I need to go and do the same. I can't hear and experience and and receive the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that it ends with me, that it stops with me, that it's just for me. No, it's something that needs to be shared. It's something that needs to go out. It's something that is desperately needed in the world that we live in. Who does your heart break for? You don't have to go to the walled city. It can be right here. I remember this past August, my wife Bridget said, hey, are you going to be a leader in our Power Life program? And I said, no, I'm not. I don't like junior high kids, not even my own. I just don't like them. And you want to know what she said to me? So, Jeremy, you talk all the time about your heart breaks for the fact that there's a lot of kids that don't know that Jesus loves them. You have a hard heart and you have soft feet. Maybe it's time to allow your heart that is broken by that to harden your feet, to go and walk to the the ones that need it. Oh, but that might cost me some time or it might cost me some energy or it might cost me. How do we prioritize things? Is it all about me? Is it all about my, is it all about, Jesus tells a story it's in Luke's gospel. It's a story that you, you know very well. He tells a story about a man who had been beaten, who had been robbed, and who had been left for dead. And, and Jesus says, there, here's this man who has desperate need. And there are three people that pass by this man, and, and the first two that pass by him, sure, their hearts were broken, but they didn't do anything about it. And then there's the one who is so broken, his heart was so broken that he couldn't help but to go and love the man, to be generous, to give what he had to the one who didn't have. And at the end of this story, Jesus says, who is it that was the neighbor? Who is it was the one that loved this man. I said, well, it was the despised Samaritan, the surprise of the story. And Jesus says, yeah, it was. Now go and do the same. Like, go and do the same. And Jesus isn't just saying that to his disciples or to the crowds that heard him and followed him. Jesus is saying that to you. Go and do the same. Find out what, what is it that your heart breaks for? Where is it that there is a need that, that, I, could, that I could step into the gap and, and to be able to serve and, and to give in a way that would bring freedom to people who don't have it, would bring life to people who desperately need it? 
We bring comfort to people who are in despair. I mean, the, so many of the heroes of, of this place for me, this place that I get to be a part of. I mean, every time you walk into this place, there are so, you probably were told hello 75 times before you even got into the worship center. And you want to know why we do that? Because statistically speaking, there is a bigger percentage than we would ever want to acknowledge of people who don't have a kind word spoken to them any day of the week. That breaks our heart. That breaks our heart that people wouldn't have kindness and love being able to be shared with them just by simply walking in through a space. Where are you called to go and do the same? The opportunities for us to be the church, to follow Jesus, to, to be what Jesus says, to, to experience greatness isn't to get, it's to give, to, to do this. It's immeasurable. So do it. Don't just pretend to love, actually love. The song that's more well known than any other song over the course of history, aside from the song Happy Birthday, is the song Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. For I was lost. I was in a place that I had incredible need, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. The reason why this song has such a pull and it captures our hearts isn't because of the melody, though the melody is amazing. It's because of the truth of God and his character and his nature that he's loving and he loves so much that he gives it freely and he calls us to do the same. So that's how we're going to close. I invite you to stand and we're going to sing out the song, Amazing Grace. And following that, we're going to follow what Jesus said. We're going to go and do the same. Amen? Amen.